be careful how you vote, y'all. Well, on every election day. Listeners, welcome to our final COVID edition of our election 2020 forum, Mayor edition, (laughs) RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. It feels pretty manic these days, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, all day, every day, heard at 11 o'clock a.m. on WRIRLP. 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We're kicking off the fall fun drive, huh? So I'm excited. Yes! When this airs, it's the first day of fall fun drive. So WRIR.org, hit the big red donate button to keep shows like ours on the air. We've got a wide variety of news and talk programming that is amazing. And every dollar cent pocket linty penny helps. All right, let's dive in, Fran. I'm excited. Who who's with us right now? What forum are we on? What day is it? <laughs> it's our mail. Mr. Mayor, will you please introduce yourself and maybe uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your last four years. What are your highs and lows? How's it going for you? Oh, yes, I'm LeVar Stoning. I'm the mayor of the great city of Richmond. I've had the honor of serving as mayor for the last four years. It truly has been the honor of life. You know, uh, during my time as mayor, I've been focused on being what I said in 2016 I would do, and that'd be the education. I'm proud of the fact that we've built three new schools in black and brown neighborhoods in the city of Richmond, two on South Side, one in the East End. I'm proud that we've invested more in Richmond public schools than any mayor in the, in the last generation. Now, 57 cents on every real estate tax dollar goes to Richmond public I'm proud that I kept my promise on expanding after-school programs in which now if you're an elementary schooler or you're a middle schooler, you have access to a high-quality after-school program, one of the, one of the most, uh, one of the proudest uh, accomplishments I have uh, as mayor. Also, I'm proud of the work we did to start the addiction diversion program in the city. The first of its kind in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we've now uh, saved 400 and roughly 450 families from uh, being outdoors or being on the street because of the eviction diversion program. Uh, and also the work we've done on affordable housing, 1,900 affordable housing units completed or in the queue by the end of 2020, and we tripled the affordable housing trust fund over my time as mayor. Uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Uh, I'm proud of my record, uh, as I want to always remind folks that my record is not uh, an end to all of our problems here in the city. It is the beginning, the start to our solution. So I look forward to having a discussion about our positive vision to move the city of Richmond forward. You kind of started on that list uh, just now um, on some of the things that you've done in the last four years. But briefly, kind of give us uh, some of your greatest hit in the last four years. If there's a continuation of that list, what what things have you done since you're the incumbent during your tenure? Yeah, that you did? I, can, I can always add some more. I can always add some more. You know, one thing that I did not get a chance to highlight because I tried my best to be brief as possible. Uh, you know, I love the work that we've done with the, the rainbow community, the LGBT community in raising the municipal quality index. You know, we have one of the lowest municipal quality index uh, scores in the in the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, as um, uh, as evaluated by the Human Rights Campaign, and we uh, had the biggest increase uh, than any other city in the United States of America. Uh, and it's, to me, it's just us getting to work, uh, making some changes to the way we do things, and also uh, how we want to show our rainbow community how welcome we are. So now we have one that we have the highest now in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we have the biggest increase in the United States of America. That's due to the work of our partnerships with a number of organizations for who've been in the battle for a long, long period of time, and now local government has stepped up. It's been more than just symbolism as well, right? You know, yes, we've raised the um, the equality flag uh, at Browns Island. We've done it now at City Hall as well, but we've also done the hard work. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the work of Maggie Anderson, my office, who led the charge to ensure that now that we've extended uh, health care benefits to uh, our transgender community inside City Hall. So now any employee who may be transgender uh, can also now receive benefits. Uh, that's, I think, a long time overdue health care. Uh, I'm proud of that work. Uh, I'm proud of, of the partnership we made with the nonprofit community and philanthropic world to uh, provide uh, uh, glasses, uh, eyewear to kids who did not uh, have access to uh, that sort of uh, health care as well. Uh, thousands of kids now have at least been um, not only evaluated, but also also brought home glasses for the first time. Imagine being a child and not being able to 
see the chalkboard but or not seeing the whiteboard these days, but not knowing what to do about that. I had a parent come to me one time and say, Mr. Mayor, if it wasn't for the city partnering with these nonprofits and the philanthropic community, um, I would never have known that my child was blind in one eye. Uh, something we talked about in the 2016 campaign, we were out to bring, bring it to fruition. I, I will say this, being mayor is about partnership and it's about bringing home, you know, your government can't do it all by itself. You have to find partners, whether in the private sector, whether in the nonprofit sector, whether in the philanthropic world, to make sure that those marginalized in our city get the best they can, particularly during this now pandemic right here. We're seeing uh, inequalities being illuminated. Uh, that's why I'm proud that my administration stepped up during the pandemic, uh, whether it's we were the first locality to request a mask mandate uh, before any other locality uh, in, the, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, we were the first locality to actually suspend, you know, mass gatherings uh, in, in the city. Uh, we were the first to start targeting and emphasizing uh, testing in black and brown communities, building out our contact tracing, and one of the first localities to provide hotel rooms for those who could not quarantine to quarantine there. So I I'm proud of our work for the last four years. The last year has been the most challenging in the last four years. Why? Because there is no playbook for a pandemic. No locality in the United States of America has a playbook for the pandemic. And this is a true failure of the federal government led by Donald Trump. There should be a national plan to fight the pandemic, to box the strategy, to box the virus. And instead, localities like Richmond have been left to lead the charge. And we've stepped up. We've risen to the occasion. Every candidate ever has said that they are the education candidate. <laughs> what makes you the actual education candidate? What do you see your as your role in improving and growing RPS? Well, you know what, Melissa, I'm glad you asked that question because Jason Cameras, every time I do an event with him or do a meeting with him, he makes he, he regularly tells uh, his employees that there are a lot of parents who said that they're the education mayor, but we are lucky to have one in, in, in me. And I appreciate that because I've made partnership with the school board and the city council, uh, the school board and the uh, superintendent of my top priority. Uh, but prior to me, you did not have a mayor who worked closely with uh, the superintendent. And here's the thing. I think Jason Cameron has done a great job. Uh, I think that he deserves his contract to be renewed. Uh, and we should judge Jason Cameron on the growth that RPS has made over the course of the last uh, few years. Uh, that's the same way we should be uh, grading our children as well. If you get a fifth grader who's reading at a, a second grade level, and you're able to get that fifth grader up to a fifth grade reading level, you should grade that, that fifth grader on the effort that was made to get that teacher on the effort that was made to get that fifth grader reading at, at grade level. That's the same way I grade Mr. Cameras as well. He's done a good job basically uh, writing and doing his best to write the ship. It, are all the problems uh, solved yet? No, the problems are solved yet. But that's why you need a partner with the mayor to continue to invest in Richmond Public Schools. Our partnership extends from not only him showing up to every education compact meeting, which unfortunately I can't say the same for uh, some of my candidates in the race, City Council and Gray, but uh, our partnership in funding more dollars for Richmond Public Schools, you know, the, the largest investment in Richmond Public Schools in a generation, 57 cents on every tax dollar. We had invested roughly $30 million in new monies, in new monies to Richmond Public Schools to give teachers raises, uh, to provide more advanced uh, placement courses now, more guidance counselors, uh, more dollars to fix all the capital needs that they have and uh, leaky roofs, and mold remediation, you name it. Uh, those are the dollars that we've invested in the past couple years. And, you know, if they did not have those dollars today, it would be very, very difficult for Richmond Public Schools to be able to provide a Chromebook to I mean, each and every student uh, in Richmond Public Schools. Also, a MiFi for those who need uh, access to, to Wi-Fi as well. So, you know, there are a lot of, of my opponents, well, not a lot, uh, a couple of my opponents who say that Richmond Public Schools could do more with less. No, Richmond Public Schools need, they need more, not less. In the vein of, we were talking about the pandemic earlier, Richmond has been hit really hard with the pandemic and that doesn't just stop with businesses or, you know, all of us are going, everyone has been affected with a myriad of things. What would you do as the mayor, if elected in a second term, to boost the economy, to really help with kind of the overall budget to get our city back on its feet, which is a, a challenging feat in and of itself, because as you mentioned, there is no manual for this situation um, ahead of us. 
and you're right, the, the pandemic, you know, who would have ever known in the middle of March that we would have to essentially go into a shutdown and businesses would be closed up and uh, that people, residents would lose their jobs. And we all know that the pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on black and brown residents. And if you are, uh, if you are a black and brown uh, a person of color in Richmond and you were already going uh, living paycheck to paycheck, then this has been really devastating. You don't know what's around the corner. You know, some people have a plan B. Well, it's rare that people have a plan C or a plan D as well. Now we are months into a pandemic, months into an economic downturn as well. And the number one responsibility of local government, I think, is to help. That's just one word, H-E-L-P, to help, right? And so we got, uh, we, we started helping back then. Uh, we waited, obviously. Uh, we, we were able to get some dollars from uh, our federal government, the, the CARES Act dollars, and we invested those dollars in where people live. You got you know, housing insecurity is a major, uh, a major deal right now. And so we invested uh, in where people live. Now $14.5 million has been invested in either eviction diversion, rental assistance, or mortgage relief. And as, as I said earlier, we've saved hundreds of people from being pushed outdoors or into the streets. We've also focused on our businesses as well. You got to have a place for folks to, to, to patron or folks to uh, still be able to keep the doors open so they can pay their, their employees. We've provided roughly $3 million in uh, a small business disaster loan, which we allow for our businesses to revert into grants. Uh, and also the Richmond Recovers Grant as well, where we've had over 140 uh, new recipients of grant monies uh, that, to provide for their payrolls and, and keep people uh, paid during this most difficult time. Also, I'm proud of the work we've done in partnership with the, the Robbins Foundation as well and other nonprofits to get dollars in the hands of those who are finish, uh, facing some serious financial hardship. You can say this is our pilot approach to a universal uh, guaranteed income. I'm a supporter of it. I've joined 24 other mayors around the country to follow the lead of my friend Michael Tubbs in Stockton and the universal guaranteed income. Uh, you saw Andrew Yang talk about it as well during his presidential campaign. I was there uh, able to provide uh, checks to those residents who came in, who signed up, who qualified, and we were able to get dollars into their hands, uh, one-time dollars. And we did the same thing for our undocumented community as well because there are no federal programs that capture them and make sure they don't fall through the cracks. And now we're going to be also uh, piloting a program with uh, Universal Guaranteed Income moving forward with 24 uh, other cities. For me, it's doing everything we can to save the businesses and make sure that folks stay in their homes. We are running way behind, I think. The federal government should have already passed another relief plan uh, out of uh, the U.S. Senate and signed by the president. And until then, I fear, because CARES Act dollars now expire at the end of the year, I fear where we're going to be in January, where we're going to be in February because of the inaction of the federal government. Once again, this goes back to the federal government not having a plan of action for us to survive a pandemic. And instead, localities like Richmond have led the way. So uh, for me, that's what, what we'll be focused on, making sure folks are, uh, who are facing housing insecurity, well, make sure our businesses stay, stay open as well, and hopefully, hope, also hoping that we can help those who are facing uh, uh, financial hardship. Now, moving forward, I believe that the city needs an economic stimulus, and the economic stimulus we have here in the city of Richmond is the real estate that we own. Any real estate that the city owns that is undeveloped or underdeveloped needs to be developed so we can actually find dollars to push back into our coffers to insulate us during this downturn um, that we're facing right now. What is your focus when it comes to the greening of Richmond? How important are public green spaces, the park system, and environmental issues to you? You know what? Uh, we, I think, uh, the testament of our work uh, on how we, what we care about our green spaces is uh, started back in early part of my administration when we signed on to RDA Green in 2050. They go 80% renewable over the course of the next 50 years. Uh, there are a number of things that we have to do to, to, to take those steps forward. That we, we, We've wanted to green our fleet, green the bus fleet as well. Uh, by greening our fleet, we had dollars in the budget set aside uh, before COVID-19 hit to actually start phasing out our old vehicles and, and, and purchasing electric and hybrid vehicles as well. We're going to get back to that once uh, we get out of this uh, pandemic, I guarantee you that. Uh, but also, I think the New York Times was able to highlight uh, some of the um, uh, the vestiges of, of, of Jim Crow and, and redlining that still remain with us today and the impact that uh, our environmental 
or, or that climate change has on, on black and brown people in our community. You look at the map, you look at the formerly redlined neighborhoods, whether east end or south side, you can see that they're suffering the most from uh, the, the change in climate. And so uh, we've stepped up now five new parks uh, will be open in the city of Richmond over the course of the next few years. Uh, these are the first parks to open in the first time since the 1970, since the 1970s. Uh, that will provide a 10-minute walk for those who live in parts of Southside to a park. And right now, those walks are roughly 20 minutes in either direction for those residents who are living in Southside. I think our kids and our residents deserve a whole lot more. You will see an increase in the tree canopy around the city as well to help sort of uh, protect our residents from um, those, that heat island effect you see uh, throughout uh, parts of Southside. I'm proud that we put over 300 uh, acres of land into easement around the James River as well. Uh, that was a, a, a progressive move that we made uh, during my, my tenure. And I'm also proud that we've added uh, roughly 25 uh, acres of, of land uh, to our parks as well, as you saw the expansion of Lara's Park as well. And so I think the James River is our central park. We've had roughly 2 million people this year seek refuge in the park in terms of getting outdoors after being locked down for so long. And uh, I, I think that we have to continue to build upon that. You saw in my time as mayor, we've increased the parks and recreation budget for the course of the last four years. It's larger now than it was when I became mayor back in 2017, but we can't stop. We have a great uh, asset in Chris Frelke. We have to continue to invest in our parks, invest in the programming so that we all can enjoy it uh, in, no matter what zip code or neighborhood. This summer, I think, marked a very important time for many people around the country, but for Black and brown people, it's really been a continuation of a lifetime of summers and springs because it, ha it didn't just start with this summer or with the death of Floyd or any of the people in recent summers. A lot of the uprisings that we've seen, um, not only in Richmond, but across the country, have left poignant mark of racial divides across many of our cities. Um, and I think that has um, brought a lot of that to the forefront for many of the citizens of Richmond. If they needed a reminder <laughs> that we do have a lot of vestiges of reminders that there is still and does still remind, uh, remain a racial divide in Richmond across many of our, not necessarily city services, but um, in housing, socioeconomic status, um, I mean, I mean, Fran, you, you sign off every show and you say Richmond is still racist. Now, obviously, I don't think Richmond's 100% racist. The people there are 100% racist. We're working racist, on it. But, but, but are the systems, you always say we're working on it, right? But we're working and you on said it. And yeah. you, you said that before this summer. You've been saying that for years now. Mm -hmm. and, exactly. and some people exactly. some people just woke up to that, you know? Some people just woke yeah. up to that. Yeah. So, I mean, you were what? one of the first to call it for what it was. How do you plan to continue to work on that? How do you see that in your policy change? How have you worked that into how you write policy, how you govern, you know, as a mayor? And how do you see policing in that change as well? You know, I, I mean, 2020 has certainly been a challenging year. And I think what 2020 has done, Fran, is not only illuminated the inequities, but also it's put a mirror in front of our faces and we've been forced to answer the question whether or not we like the reflection uh, that is coming back from across that mirror. And what I heard from a number of, uh, of people in the streets, people who were out there protesting the injustices, the racial injustices, and just from average everyday residents in Richmond is that no, they do not like the reflection that's coming back across that mirror. And so I do believe that the next decade uh, is the, one of the most critical decades we've seen in Richmond's history. I, I put it up there with the civil rights, the, the decade after the civil rights movement, the decade after Reconstruction. This is one of those more, the most critical decades. And that's why the reason I'm running for mayor, because, you know, I don't want Richmond to miss her moment. This is it right here. And I believe that the gap between black and white have and have nots remain the same in 2030 as they are in 20, 2020, then we will have missed our moment. And I'm running for mayor to make sure we don't miss our moment. And some things we have to do, we have to close the gaps uh, in uh, in housing and generational wealth building as well. Uh, I, I've been focused on uh, during the campaign trail on transforming public housing in the city of Richmond. Uh, I think we got to stop talking and talk about uh, getting new uh, homes that are respectful for those residents and actually do something about that. And so the open court will turn 80 years old 
2022. Those residents who live in Gilpin Court, who live in Creighton Court, which will turn 70 in 2022, they deserve a roadmap on where on a new a new home in the city of Richmond uh, beyond 2022. And that means if you, if you live in public housing today, you should have a home in Richmond tomorrow. And that's what I'm going to focus on in my next four years. But also in creating generational wealth as well. A startling number, I think, that a lot of Richmonders have to pay attention to. And that is the fact that we've seen a 30% decline in Black home ownership since 2000, while white home ownership in Richmond has gone up 150%. That means we have to be very intentional about equity, how we move blighted tax delinquent homes back on the tax rolls through the Matthew Walker community land trust and get them into the hands of black and brown home ownership. One of the best ways to start is starting with the Richmond city workforce. 37% of the workforce, those who work for the city of Richmond live in the city. How do we get more of that workforce living in the city? I think there's ways to do that working with the Maggie Walker a Community Land Trust. We also have to do with educational achievement as well, right? We know there's a gap between white Richmonders and black Richmonders when it comes to educational achievement. There's an achievement gap. We have to work to close that. One of the best ways to close that beyond investing in through K through 12 is starting with 3K. Why? Because not all people, unfortunately, are created equal. We say that education is the great equalizer. But when kindergartners in Richmond start on day one, 59% of them start unprepared to learn, that gap, that deficit remains throughout the entirety of K-12 education in Richmond public schools. We got to start earlier. We got to invest in universal free pre-K for every three-year-old and every four-year-old. And that's what I'm focused on over the course of the next four years. When it comes to policing, uh, I think that we have to reimagine and reform the way we police. Right. Uh, I don't think that an armed officer needs to uh, show up at every non-criminal uh, offense. That's why I support democracy. Uh, I also believe that the police department needs to be accountable and transparent. You know, we are an accredited uh, police department by you know third party organizations from around the country. But what matters the most to me is that we're accredited by our community. And what I hear from black and brown people, people of color in our city is, Mr. Mayor, we want the police department. We need the police department. But we want the same police department that shows up in the West End to show up in the East End, to show up in places like Oakwood and Creighton and Mosby. We just want the same police department there. So I think you have to fund the change, fund the reimagining, uh, fund the reforms of the Richmond Police Department. That means that we got to train our officers to respond, to, to get beyond the word no and resistance as well. I just don't believe cutting, flashing, the Richmond Police Department's budget is going to rip out systemic racism. We have to do that internally. We have to take the deep dive and fund the change we want to see in the department. And I believe we have a, the change agent in Chief Gerald Smith to bring about uh, the reforms necessary. We're going to wrap it up with this last question. And then Fran will okay. make sure that your contact information is gotten because I can never seem to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, everybody in the city has my contact info, so, you know. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Trammell. <laughs> <laughs> this is the truth. <laughs> the shade. We keep hearing about bold policymaking. Every candidate's like, I'm going to make bold decisions. What does that actually mean to you? Making bold decisions, being a bold leader. Yeah, you know, what does that mean to you? Well, you know what? I feel like in the last four years, not only have I grown in the role as mayor, but also I have the, uh, I mean, it has not always been 100% easy. We all know that. I've had my tough days. Uh, when you're the mayor, you get to hear about and see people at their best. And you get to hear and see people, unfortunately, at their worst as well. And also I've learned that leadership as well isn't, doesn't mean it's a popularity contest, right? The most popular people in the world, in the country, in the state, uh, aren't necessarily the best leaders. The best leaders to me are those who are willing to make the best decisions, sometimes even when they're unpopular. And so uh, I look at uh, my decision to remove monuments on July 1 and, and to, to expedite that because of, of the emergency declaration that we were under. For some people, that was not a very popular decision, but it was necessary. Uh, that's the willingness to step up, I think, in times that matter. Also, uh, you know, when um, people thought that you know, we should have just reopened, despite that we have positivity rates in the 20s, when it comes to COVID-19 and we slowed things down, that wasn't a popular decision, but you know, we then eventually had 35 days of the low case, of declining case counts in the city of Richmond. And I don't think we would have gotten there if we would have just 
just ran, just rushed into the reopening process. So sometimes being a, a good leader does not mean uh, being a good leader means that you have to make tough calls and tough decisions, and you may make people bad on both the left and the right. Lord knows I've done that in the course of the last year. Uh, I've had people uh, who have been uh, upset with me on the left and the right, but that's what leadership is all about, making the tough calls, making the tough decisions, and putting yourself uh, you know, uh, in the arena uh, to, to make those tough calls. And so you all know there are a number of proposals I've made whether it's to the budget or whether the economic development I was willing to do because I thought it was the right thing to do. This is the time that you have to not just lead with your, you can't lead with your gut in a situation. You have to lead with your heart. And um, I've learned that you just can't be a manager of city employees and, and, and city dollars, but you also have to be a compassionate leader. And I think you look back at our time as my time as mayor for the course of the last four years, and you've seen that we've led with compassion. You've led with compassion, with my heart and with love. And it's my hope for the course uh, before November 3rd that folks see that compassion and then actually um, go to the polls and, and vote, uh, vote for us for the next one. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before you go, please tell your constituents and our listeners how they can connect with your campaign, find out more about you and your uh, platform, how they can, um, you know, read more about you, donate, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can go to stonyforrva.com. That's our website there. You can look at uh, my, look at my record. Look at uh, who I look for who I am uh, and learn about everything we've done over the course of the last four years. Also, I ask that you check out our social media platforms. I'm uh, Mayor LeVar Stoney on Facebook, um, at LeVar Stoney on Instagram, and on Twitter as well. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you all. I appreciate y'all. And good luck. Yep. In your and I think you're pretty close. Yeah, I think you're pretty close yeah. to your green jacket by now. Oh. I think, I think he has the green jacket. We just need to give it to him. I think he's earned it at this I point. Think. He's been on so many times. He, he, he might be. We might have to do a goal. Yeah, we might have to do a goal. I need to be a Hall of Famer now. I need a gold jacket. That's what I need. <laughs> Get reelected and we'll think about it. <laughs> hey, I, hey, that's, what, that's the plan. I look forward to being back in the studio with y'all sometime soon, okay? Yes, absolutely. There you go. There you go. All, All right. right. Y'all take care. You too. Here we are zooming it up again and my dog one of my dogs is trying to talk too because they're always interested and want to be part of all of these interviews. And since Fran's not here, I can't mute myself because I need to talk to the candidate that I have in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to wing it. It's going to be great. Um, this is municipal mania style anyway. So <laughs> I'm going to let our candidate for mayor go ahead and introduce themselves. And maybe if we're lucky, give us a little tidbit uh, that you haven't told the 117 other forum audiences that you've been in front of here. And then uh, maybe a little bit about what compelled you to run for mayor during such an auspicious time. That's one way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> hey, y'all, it's Alexis Rogers. I am really excited to be a candidate for mayor, even during these very challenging times. Grew up in the Hanover or in Hanover in the Richmond area um, and went to school at VCU very proud Ram, and uh, have stayed in the city ever since. I've been working behind the scenes, so to speak, in state government and in progressive organizations to pass policies on healthcare access and voting rights, workers, uh, worker protections, college affordability, and decided to run this year because I want to make sure that we have a leader that's focused on uh, working people. I don't think that we have that right now. Um, something fun that maybe other people don't know, uh, but you should know, is that I'm a big foodie. If you check out my Instagram, before it became all about my campaign, it was pretty much all about RVA food, <laughs> where I eat, Are what I eat, kind of like and how I cook. RVA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to some procedural stuff. I love the policy, the procedure. Let's the do procedure. it. Procedure. Okay. So, 
In your view, what are the major kind of mundane things that still need improvement in the city? You know, like the city busy work. Um, are there infrastructure improvements you see is kind of top of your to-do list? A couple of things. Um, I'll talk about infrastructure and permits, um, maybe in reverse order. So when I was working at Planned Parenthood, I, uh, one of our uh, big projects was expanding access to healthcare through a new facility in the East End of Richmond. A lot of our patients were traveling from the East End all the way over to the other side of Carytown to come for birth control, cancer screenings, primary care services. And y'all probably know that's a long bus ride um, and it's a long car ride even um, in traffic. So we wanted to move healthcare closer to our patients and to the community uh, that needed uh, that primary care. We had the money, we had the, the construction company, Right. But uh, we had to fight City Hall um, with the permitting process. And you know, that was really frustrating. And I think that opened my eyes in a new way to some of the issues at City Hall and how it can impact not just um, uh, businesses, but also healthcare access, um, entrepreneurial efforts in the city. Um, and I think that is an issue that still very much needs to be addressed. The other day, a friend of mine was saying he just got solar panels installed on his, uh, on his home, but he can't use them until the electrical permit um, is issued. So these kinds of uh, kind of mundane city services that, you know, people may think are just something that bureaucrats or wonky people care about actually also impact very bold progressive policies that we want to do, like expand access to healthcare or uh, create more renewable energy opportunities for our neighbors. Uh, so that's got to be addressed um, on infrastructure. You know, our mayor is bragging about how much uh, he's filled potholes, and I'm really grateful that we've got some more potholes filled. But we still, I think, uh, don't have enough um, access to sidewalks, safe sidewalks in our communities. And th th we have the numbers to prove it, right? $30 million invested in, uh, excuse me, in paving and road repair and just $2 million in sidewalks. That, I think, shows where the priorities are. And, you know, while it is very important that we're having safe roads, we have to make sure that we have walkable neighborhoods um, that includes safe sidewalks that aren't chopped up. Um, and, you know, we still know that there are a lot of neighborhoods that don't have sidewalks at all. So when you're waiting for the bus or you're trying to get uh, to school or to the grocery store, um, you may be walking literally in the middle of the road or through grass. Um, and that's just not acceptable for uh, a safe community. So we've got to focus on that. And part of my plan for how we fix it is making sure that we are having the right people doing the job. Right now we have public works handling transportation and sewage and, you know, all the other things that are, are that fall within that purview. I've proposed a Department of Transportation to handle some of the mobility challenges that we're seeing, certainly uh, coordinating the GRTC um, and kind of bus system working with GRTC system. But um, having a separate uh, department with its own resources and accountability for the state of our streets. I think that's really important uh, to be able to address these issues in a more equitable way. What areas do you think are going to be developing the fastest in the next five years? And how do we ensure that growth is inclusive? Also, do you have a strategy for making Richmond attractive for businesses, tourists, students, potential new residents, while ensuring improvements to the lives of those who are already here? Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing um, a lot of growth and investment in a few different communities within the city of Richmond, certainly, uh, you know, Manchester, Blackwell area, and, and, you know, parts of Scott's Edition, second district fan area. I think it's important, though, that we're doing it in a way that brings more people along with us and doesn't push uh, historically uh, black neighborhoods uh, and uh, historically black families out of our communities. So the way we do that is by incentivizing and really um, rewarding long-term home, home ownership, uh, giving folks relief if they have owned their home uh, for a long time in the, in the city. Their property values are going up and the tax payments on that are the property are going up because of, frankly, gentrification in their neighborhoods. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not pushing those black families out. Um, and the way that we you know, attract millennials, young people, working people, even seniors who want to retire um, and in uh, safe communities, it means making sure that we have access to all the great amenities of city life, right? Like people move to the city because they want the art scene and the culture and the good uh, you know, food and museum access. But you also want to be in a safe community where you can walk around at night uh, where you can uh, get to the grocery store in your own uh, in your own neighborhood, where you can get to a park uh, within a short walk, um, that takes uh, hard work from the administration, partnering with council to really make sure that we are creating neighborhoods that are holistic um, and safe for everybody. 
um, you know, whether that's again, sidewalk infrastructure or making sure that we have enough density um, and the right conditions to uh, require a grocery store in certain neighborhoods. And, you know, I think we're seeing um, it play out in Manchester area specifically, how, um, you know, the growth and the um, presence of the dollar stores and the family dollars right up alongside the fact that we do have heavy density, but still no grocery store. Why is that? Um, we have to make sure that, <laughs> yeah, ask some folks on council, uh, we have to make sure that we are doing what we can to make sure we have nutritious food options and grocery stores uh, for every community. And you know, I've been a little frustrated that for years, um, multiple election cycles, uh, particularly in the Blackwell, Manchester area, folks have been asking for a grocery store and, and just been told we're working on it, we're working on it. And, and here we are, 2020, one of the fastest growing neighborhoods in the city, millennials, um, frankly, upper income folks moving into the neighborhood, still having to travel um, over a bridge uh, through multiple neighborhoods to get to a grocery store. Um, and, and that's not the kind of community that will continue to be able to thrive uh, for working people and for millennials um, in the long term. We're going to have to address those hard issues of access to green space and grocery stores and walkability. Uh, to be successful for the long term. Do you think, speaking of green space, in the age of COVID and folks taking a major hit financially, losing homes and jobs, et cetera, et cetera, that making green spaces, the park system, community gardens, and climate change initiatives a priority is still possible? And what are your goals for the greening of Richmond? Yeah, I think it has to be a priority. We can't afford to put it on the back burner. I mean, I think part of the reason why I put my environmental justice policy platform uh, forward first was because I feel like often, especially Democrats who call themselves, you know, kind of the leaders on environmental policy, always put that last and say, I want to talk about everything else and then also climate change if we can get to it. To me, especially right now, people are being told it's safest to go outside, you know, uh, to meet outdoors to have, you know, socially distanced um, outdoor meetups. And I think there's a huge opportunity for economic and uh, tourism if we are able to capitalize on making sure that we have more access to green space and more communities within the city of Richmond. Um, so my plan calls for increasing access to uh, green spaces in every community, making sure that you're able to, within a short walk, get to a park space. You know, this is something that the mayor has talked about uh, since the beginning of his administration, but has only recently, weeks ago, started to move on in a meaningful way. Um, we have to be doing that hard work year round um, because making sure that the 8th district and the 9th district and, you know, all parts of our community have access to a, a nice uh, park space where they can safely walk the dog, visit with friends or family, host events. That's important for our community's growth and, and uh, sustainability during this time. I'm also really uh, you know, proud of our, our plans to try to move us to a greener um, infrastructure within the city government. Um, so making sure that we're transitioning to electric vehicles uh, throughout our administration making sure that we are creating that, that infrastructure so that as more residents um, and our neighbors want to transition to clean energy, that we have you know, the, the, the infrastructure here in the city to sustain that, that we're fixing the permit process so our neighbors who switch to um, solar panels on their homes aren't held up by City Hall uh, when they want to make that switch. So I'm really excited. We've earned support from Sierra Club and the Sunrise Movement because of our bold ideas on, um, you know, creating a, a greener future for the city of Richmond. Um, we have such incredible natural assets with the James River, um, and, and we just have to do everything that we can to protect and sustain our environment, especially during these times where we know a lot of, a lot of folks are going to be traveling uh, to our park systems to enjoy um, and, and seek some relief during these challenges times. So every candidate in the history of forever has said that they're the education candidate. When have you not heard that during an That's, election? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. As mayor, what would you consider is your duty to Richmond Public Schools? And how would you foster collaboration between your administration, city council, and school board in terms of your education goals? Yeah, I mean, like you said, a lot of candidates call themselves the education mayor. Um, Mayor Stoney's called himself the education mayor. Dwight Jones did too before him. And yeah, <laughs> you know, we saw how that went. Yeah. I mean, for me, here's the thing. My background's in community organizing and policymaking. And when I think about the role of the mayor, especially when it comes to education, 
so much is actually not under your control. You have to be a good team player. You have to be able to build consensus. Um, you have to be able to bring people together in order to address the issues that impact RPS students, families, and teachers. I don't think that we've had that kind of team builder, collaborator, coalition builder in Mayor Stoney. We've had someone who wants to have the headline. We've had someone that wants to say they got the job done. And what we've seen as a result from that is an education compact that hasn't worked. We've seen, uh, you know, even with the childcare uh, rollout this uh, during uh, uh, coronavirus, you know, the mayor saying he wanted to invest the funds and then saying, oh, but RPS has to do the MOUs. Hope y'all are cool with that. Figure that out. Meanwhile, families are saying, well, where can I send my kids for childcare? And the school board is saying, why are you punting this on us uh, when you said this was, a <laughs> this was your idea? Uh, to me, that's just not a good way to do politics and certainly not a good way to govern during crisis. We need leaders, um, and I believe that I'm that kind of leader, that will bring people together and say, look, here's what I think our administration can do. How do we work with the school board? Uh, how do we make sure that council's got buy-in on XYZ efforts? Um, and I think for us to have a successful and really improved, in order to improve RPS, we have to have that kind of collaboration um, because Honestly, teachers and families are, and students are tired of having to kind of have leaders point fingers and say, well, I tried to do it, but they failed. We tried to pass a meal tax, but they did this, or we tried to pass this new initiative and they did that. Um, at the end of the day, it's incumbent upon the mayor to get the job done, to work uh, collaboratively, uh, to make, to make um, the school system better. So my plan uh, on education calls for a few things. One, being um, more intentional about uh, recruiting and retaining quality teachers and reviewing uh, diligently the metrics around um, retention for, for our, our RPS teachers. You know, are, are people, why are people leaving? What are they leaving for? What are the, what's the demographic data of, uh, of, that, of our retention metrics for the city of Richmond? And, you know, that's important to me because I remember going to public school and the value that teachers and, you know, invested in me. Just the other day, one of my uh, teachers from high school posted on Facebook about how excited they were to be watching my race for mayor. Um, she was my English teacher at Hanover High School. And, you know, it just reminded me that teachers have had my back from inside the classroom to as I started my career, um, and certainly as I'm a candidate uh, for mayor today, Teachers are doing that every single day for their students, um, and we need to make sure that we have their backs as elected leaders and community leaders, that we're doing everything we can to support their work in the classroom um, for, for our students and for our families overall. Um, so that's why teacher retention and supporting them is, is so important to me. We also, you know, as we are trying to grow the city, and I'm sure economic development is going to be a topic at some point here, but as we grow the city, uh, we've got to make sure that we're doing it in a way that doesn't undercut our goals for education. Um, and I think what we saw with the Navy Hill project was potentially uh, pretty, pretty uh, clearly an opportunity that would have undercut um, education funding for the city. I regret that the mayor has spent so much of his political capital fighting for this project, even after it's been dead, um, because I think it's, it's pretty clear now that it was not a good deal for working people and it could have had a negative impact on education funding uh, for the city. And you're right. I am going to ask you, how do we grow economically? <laughs> yeah. So my, my focus, uh, you know, we need to develop downtown. Like, let me be clear. I don't want to be seen as somebody that's just like no new growth in the city because I don't, I don't think that's the case. We need to make sure that we're making the best use of our limited downtown space, but we have to do it in a way that brings community stakeholders to the table at the beginning, instead of saying, I know some wealthy guys that will fund this project and who want to uh, do this deal, and I'm going to start with their interests first. That's just not a good way to uh, plan for inclusive growth for our city. So, you know, when I put forward economic pro proposals and economic development plans for the city, it's going to center the interests of working people and have input from the beginning from community stakeholders and transparent process for how we uh, would move forward with it. But I also want to mention that, you know, while we are figuring out ways to bring that big investment to the city, We've got to be doing a better job of supporting the small businesses that are here every day, showing up for our community every day. Like I said, I grew up in the Hanover area and some of my first opportunities for internships and jobs um, in high school and college were with small businesses in Richmond that saw something in me that wanted to invest in me um, and gave me a chance to you know, learn about um, and explore different career fields. 
I think that it's so important that we are figuring out ways that we support the work that small businesses are doing, not only creating jobs, but uh, creating wealth for um, and opportunity for uh, working families in the city of Richmond. To be very specific, the restaurant industry, I think right now is, is one of the clearest uh, industries that is really suffering during coronavirus. And to be honest, it doesn't seem like the mayor has ever done uh, the hard work of building relationships within uh, the restaurant community to figure out ways that we can make city hall operations better for them. I mentioned earlier that I'm a foodie. I spend a lot of time in Richmond restaurants. And any time that I'm at a restaurant, or I should say during the meals tax increase um, proposal um, during the last administration, any time that I was at a restaurant, one of the owners would say, hey, I think you're in politics, right? Um, can you get Mayor Stoney to come talk to us about like this meals tax idea? It's not that we're against it because kids need more money for schools. We get it. But we also would like to not have such a hassle when we're doing uh, when we're trying to pay our normal taxes at City Hall or when we're trying to get a permit through City Hall. And you know, what I learned throughout that process is there's a way to propose a policy and bring all the perspectives to the table. Know that some people are going to not necessarily like the idea that you're putting forward, but get their buy-in and consensus because you're able to do something else to make their, their life a little bit easier. Um, and so, you know, my administration, right, will say, hey, we've got this idea. Okay, you don't like it. What we, this is our best option for funding the schools, so we're going to do that. But what else can we do to make, you know, your life a little bit easier? Oh, wait, we can tell you when you've missed a meal tax payment? That seems easy. <laughs> like, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think would make life just a little bit easier for a Richmond restaurant owner that's already handling a thousand things, trying to make sure that they're um, earning enough during every shift, every day to keep people um, on the payrolls, to, to, you know, keep being able to serve our community. Um, and, and that's what I'm thinking about as like someone who's worked in a coffee shop and like looked at the P&L and said, we need a lunch rush tomorrow in order to keep everybody, you know, paid on time. Like I'm thinking about that. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we've heard a lot of restaurant and uh, restaurants um, during this pandemic because of a lack of communication and a lack of um, listening to, to what is really going on and how the city could be better serving them. Well, Fran just got here and, hey, um, and we happen to have two questions left. So when she gets settled, we'll let her ask those last two questions. Hey, y'all. What up, Fran? I'm alive. You are Yo, alive. Don't, don't pull a Kim Gray now. You're parked, right? Yes, I'm parked. I, I came out into the car to talk to y'all. We had an emergency at work. Oh, no. And so I just got away from the police so that I could come and talk to y'all. But it was quite... It was quite a situation, yes. But at least you have a jaunty hat on. I mean, that must have made the situation. Yes, I have a fancy hat on. A little yes. bit better. We had a whole emergency at work. Last two questions, and then we're going to let you go, because I know I've, I'm sorry we have usurped your time on this evening. You on Friday. Because <laughs> you got busy things to do. You got campaign to run. You got, what, 18 days now? Something like that, yeah. Something like that, yes. Yeah, you got things to do. Richmond, which is nothing new, has been in, has been divided since its inception along race and class lines, and has seen the struggle of civil rights and social justice firsthand for quite a long time. Most recently, um, this past spring and summer, but really like the last four hundred summers, mm -hmm. really, if we're being honest, mm -hmm. <laughs> really, mm -hmm. um, it's been two hundred and eighty-three years. Thanks, Melissa, for that fact. Since the inception facts. of Richmond, yes, it's been 283 years. Boop, happy anniversary. Yep, factual facts, right? If elected, what steps will you take to ensure that Richmond begins to move into an equity-based governance? What does that look like to you? What does that mean to you? Um, might it include structural changes like new departments or even collapsing offices into each other, moving you know, things around? How does policing fit into that equation for you as well? Racial, racial... Uh, justice has to be a priority. And I appreciate you referencing that it's not just the summer that people have been struggling for, um, you know, seeing better equity. Um, and, and I would say fighting for Black lives to live freely in our own communities. That's something that I've been trying to remind people along the campaign trail is that we didn't just have a tough summer. We've had many years of over-policing in Black and Brown communities. We've had um, many decades of some of our neighbors being treated as 
expendable, disposable, less than. And, you know, we've seen that continue under the mayor's administration. And part of what I'm, a major part of what I'm campaigning on is the fact that the city has to work for everybody. And there needs to be bold action to undo the very intentional and bold actions to oppress Black and Brown communities. If we're going to reverse that, you can't just say, we want to do things a little bit differently. There have to be big, I think, structural changes in order to to make things right. So, of course, you know, I've, I've, I'm very on record about my uh, views on police reform and how we should be creating more oversight for the police department um, and also just generally reducing uh, policing when it comes to sending police officers only to, to situations that they're actually trained and prepared to respond to instead of sending them out to, um, you know, mental health crises or asking them to respond to whether or not a cookout is permitted, et cetera, right? Uh, we know that that kind of policing means that Black and brown people end up with charges and in jail for uh, things that they never should have been uh, charged for or penalized for. Beyond that, we have to take racial equity into every single city agency and department. That means making sure that we are investing in language justice um, for, for city services. Right now, if you don't primarily speak English, um, it can be really difficult to navigate City Hall, whether that's registering to vote or getting a permit um, or you know paying your taxes, uh, certainly navigating the school system as uh, someone who doesn't primarily speak English is, is difficult. Um, and we've seen other localities, even in Virginia, um, Fairfax is a great example, to really invest in um, not just Spanish, but other languages that our neighbors speak. And I think that's important for a growing city um, like Richmond. I think it's also important that we are undoing, you know, the red line air policies that, that still impact us here today by working with city council to rezone parts of the city to open up multifamily housing and more parts of our community so that we're not continuing to have one uh, deeply segregated neighborhoods, but also um, a lack of affordable housing units and inventory in the city. That's also, I think, a racial equity issue. It's going to open up more access to affordable housing for Black and Brown communities. We also have to make sure that every neighborhood's a good neighborhood, not just uh, the wealthy uh, white neighborhoods. And that means to me, making sure that more of our communities have access to green space. That's a racial equity issue because we know right now, you know, parts of Southside, 8th and 9th District specifically, also uh, looking towards the east end of the city and the 7th. Um, a lot of these neighborhoods are surrounded by concrete, uh, divided by highways, and don't have access to the outdoor space and the tree cover that they need. That negatively impacts our public health outcomes, puts us at higher risk for heat stroke, uh, puts us at higher risk for developing asthma in Black communities specifically. Uh, so that's a racial equity issue as well. And so every public, every policy position that I put forward is through the lens of how we create equity. And, you know, a lot of people have said, hey, Alexis, do you think, you, you know, you're only running for the Black people in the city? Uh, don't you know that there are white people or people, you know, that aren't just Black and brown in the city of Richmond? I'm very well aware of that. And I know hey, y'all are too. There, what? There's white this people is, in Richmond? I don't know, Melissa, if you knew this, but, you know, <laughs> How I respond to that yeah. is that, yeah, <laughs> Melissa doesn't see color. That's right, right? I mean, you know, God. These are questions that, that I receive, and I appreciate the concern, to, you know, that people want to make sure that I'm here for everybody. And my response is this. There have literally been laws on the books from the foundation of this country to oppress Black and brown people. In order for us to create equity and make sure the city works for everyone, we have to have intentional policies to bring us together. And that doesn't mean saying that we're not for other communities. What it means is that we actually all do matter um, and that we actually are going to be able to have safe and healthy communities for everyone. Um, and you know, that's why I've been really focused on racial equity um, in, in every single policy area, whether it's education or environmental, transportation, housing. Um, and so I'm really excited about building a new future for the city that really brings us together and creates, you know, I think a community that's equitable and safe for all of us. Are you there, Fran? Or are you just frozen? It's frozen on my end too. Yeah, okay. Fran, you're frozen. Let it go. Hello. There was, she is. I'm still frozen. Let it go. Let, Let it go. Am I still frozen? Yes. Am I and still frozen? And you're a little bit of like the alien. Let it there. go. All right, Elsa. We have the best time doing these. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you. All right, so we keep hearing about uh, bold decision making. Everybody's saying it. So what is it? Sure. 
actually mean to you? Like what does making bold decisions mean in your heart, Alexis? Yeah. So to me, it means not waiting until it's politically convenient to do the thing. And I have been that kind of leader um, throughout my career, whether that was um, when I was working at the, or when I was a leader uh, through Virginia Young Democrats and being very decisive about um, how we were going to take a stand against sexual violence within our organization um, and within the Democratic Party overall, um, or you know whether um, it's been through my leadership with the Domestic Workers Alliance and being um, very intentional and um, proactive about how we advance a political agenda that is unapologetically for Black women and domestic workers here in Virginia. Bold decision making is not waiting until everyone's asking you to do the thing and then, <laughs> and then doing the thing. Uh, it's making a hard choice sometimes uh, against unsurmountable odds and against uh, the the normal infrastructure or the people that you, how should I put it, tough decisions regardless of uh, whether or not it's popular, but knowing that it's going to serve our community, knowing that it's going to be in the best interest of our folks. Um, and, and that's the kind of leader that I'll be, you know, I think it's really important, especially during times of crisis, that we have leaders that are going to be authentic um, and honest with the community and, and say how they feel about not only what's happening when it comes to coming when it comes to current events um, but how they are um, governing in general because you know during times of the crisis we are looking to leaders to move us forward and if we aren't sure what is driving that that leader what's how they think, how they tick, what's motivating them then there's going to be a breach of trust and I think the reason part of the reason why uh, my campaign has been so successful in a short amount of time is that I'm always going to be honest there are going to be times that we don't agree on issues I've been in a lot of rooms with people where they're like, you're way, you know, further right than us or we're, you're way further left than us. Um, but we like that you're honest and that you're consistent. And regardless of what room you find yourself in, you're saying the same message, you know, because it's what I believe. It's, that's something that's going to be consistent with me as I'm uh, mayor as well, that regardless of whether or not I feel like it's going to be the popular decision, I'm going to make the decision that I think is going to be best for our community. Um, and I'm going to make sure that I'm always centering those interests first um, and, and keeping, um, you know, my, my integrity as a part of the process. Brian, can you, can you hear I'm back. <laughs> She's like, you're like the oh, no, ghosts on first. Hill House and stuff. You just kind of like. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're in, it out. And, then you freeze, I, and then you're in and then you freeze. If okay. you can, if you can make it through like a, a, a wrap up real quick. I'd love to have your voice in this portion yes. of the episode. <laughs> yes, let's do that. So we would first like to thank, thank you, Alexis, for joining us for our last forum in our series, the Mayor's Forum. Thank you for running. Um, good luck with your campaign. I know it's been a lot, but Richmond needs all kinds of everything right? Eat it all. So we're just so happy to have lots of people running, lots of fresh faces. Um, and it's good. It's good to have good, healthy competition in the race so that people have lots of choices and things to talk about other than COVID, right? Yeah. Because that's all we can you. seem to talk about right now and Trump. So I'm glad that we have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of choices because we need, we need that. Our leaders need to be challenged and we need all the challenging new innovative ideas out there. We need it. So with that, please, please, please share how our listeners can learn more about your platform, where they can find you on social media, where they can find more information about you, donate to you, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, we are running a really people-powered campaign. I would love to have uh, your listeners join us at alexisrogers.com. You can also reach us at 804-482-1059. Hit us up like Alicia Keys and looking forward to having you a part of our movement. Awesome, awesome. Good luck, good luck. Listeners, can you guys hear me? Huh? Or am I stuck? No, do it now while you still can. <laughs> well, Richmond, you know what time it is. Flint still has dirty water and now so does New Jersey. RPS was fully funded, but... We're going to need that times infinity, times infinity and beyond to get us through this next year and the year after that and the year after that. And I know it, you know it, we all know it together. Greeting rainbows.
Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. Go vote! Be careful how you vote. the Bob story. Hey, hey. Woo! He just might let you die.